Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Congratulations, everybody. It's a great piece of writing and directing, and, and you wrote amazing parts for these actors. The film is a number, you know, it's doing a number of things. It's, it's a film that's about dealing with death, the, the messiness. You open right away with this uh, toilet scene, uh, sort of letting us know what, what death is all about. Um, and then it's about this incredible brother-sister relationship. So could you talk about how these things kind of came together for you? Um, well, I can't exactly explain precisely the, how, I mean, I, individually, I'll, I'll sort of how it emerged. So I had my own experience with two family members who were in nursing homes and had dementia at the end of their life. One was my father and one was my grandmother. So I had had this personal experience many years ago. Um, uh, and it was sort of re-stimulated um, in a way of... Uh, Oddly, in that I live around the corner from a nursing home in the East Village, and I um, walk by this nursing home many times a day because I have a Jack Russell Terrier that needs a lot of exercise. And so uh, I think the this kind of um, like daily meditation from wa walking past this nursing home, uh, you know, three or four times a day, uh, it just started working on me. Simultaneously, I've always had an interest in writing about a brother-sister relationship. I have three brothers in real life, um, and um, I was kind of just interested in exploring those dynamics. So it all kind of was happening simultaneously, those interests merging. And did you ever apply for a Guggenheim? Yes, yes, I have. <laughs> and she won it. <laughs> it's true. And no, it is true. That is true. I, I did. I, I sort of took aspects of my own life and almost inverted it. My brother actually won a Guggenheim in real life, too. So I, I, did, I did make a trick for myself at one point when I was messing around with the sibling. I mean, in my own personal life, I do not. I mean, the reason I sort of say that is because people often ask about the autobiographical content of the movie. And, um, and it's very personal. And it's sort of at the heart, there's this you know, autobiographical element, but it's also wildly fictionalized. But in terms of the siblings, um, I actually don't have a particularly combative or, um, you know, artistic competitive, artistically competitive relationship or, uh, with my brother uh, or any of my brothers, uh, although they are all professors. I have three professors. <laughs> and, um, but uh, we, in fact, individually received these Guggenheim things. And at one point when I was messing around with this, figuring out what this relationship would be, I remember turning them inside out and sort of taking aspects of, sort of the superficial aspects of my 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 brothers and myself and literally inverting it and turning them into these competitive siblings which was really the opposite of what my own thing was but anyway it's a weird <laughs> trick well we'll just it's say like it. an acting exercise i mean it's like a writing <laughs> exercise or something mm -hmm. like, invert family members turn them into you know antagonists <laughs> and see what you come up with <laughs> Sounds like a subversive semi-autobiographical yeah. Very subversive semi-autobiographical. Can, uh, can you talk about what drew you to? I'll start with you, Laura. This character, it's, um, I mean, there's so many things about Wendy that are fascinating, but what drew, what drew you to this script and the chance to play this character? Uh, well, first of all, because it was so obviously actable. I mean, when you, when you get scripts, a lot of times you'll get a script, and they're, they're, it's not actable. 
their ideas on the page, the dialogue is all the same, the voices are all similar, and you know you're going to have a lot of, you're going to have to slug through the material to try and then transfer, uh, to try and execute it into something. Uh, this script was in pristine, perfect condition, and, you know, by page three, my mind was already going. You know, I was, I, you already, you really have to pay attention when you already start working on something before you finished reading it. You know, it just your actor brain just turns on. You can't help yourself. You just start making connections and seeing the architecture of the piece and, and all of that. So, yeah. So it was really more my, my attraction to the entire thing other than just Wendy, who was delicious to play and complicated and, and bottomless, you know, bottomless things to investigate there with her. So. Okay, and how about you? What, what drew you to this? Well, I was drawn to... Uh, speaking to the microphone. I was drawn to the project initially... He a microphone. I know he's a theater person, but, by, but um, still we're... <laughs> by uh, discovering through my agent, uh, I didn't know Tamara prior to this. I didn't I know about her first film uh, or any of the other documentaries I was connected. So I, she was a, a question mark for me. And, uh, and she remains all, to this no, day a no, question no, mark. She <laughs> she's a lovely, she's a lovely, very talented lady. <laughs> But uh, I was a little uh, uh, uneasy when I discovered it was uh, from, through my agent. I hadn't read the, the, text, the script yet. And he said, it's a low-budget film. I said, oh, you know, I, I'm, I really don't, I'm not up to doing another low-budget film. I've done my share. And there really is a, a great deal of money doing And it takes a lot of time. And I was just not, uh, anyway, I was almost, uh, he said, let me send you the script to read it. I said, don't bother, because I really don't want to do a low-budget film. <laughs> And then he said, well, it's a pity, because uh, I've read it, and, and I think you'll enjoy reading it. It's got some very good people connected with it. Uh, I said, I don't know the director. He said, yeah, but uh, you know uh, Laura Linney and uh, Phil Hoffman. I said, Laura Linney and Phil Hoffman are doing this? He said, yeah. I said, you ought to send me the script. I, said, I know that they've chosen to appear in this, and they certainly themselves and their agents must have approved it. It must be a dynamite script. So that's how it all turned out. And were you hooked by page three of the script when you were, were uh, I, you know, smearing I feces on the I, wall? I, no, no, no. I've got to do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't feel that way, actually. No, I wasn't hooked, but I, I was hooked after we began to read the play. We had a number of days reading it in uh, time. So, yeah, so he, in other words, he's saying that he wasn't convinced no, no, in, no, at, at that point either. But he, can, can I add to something? Pardon? Can I yes, say that? Because yes, Phil came in and he, he auditioned for the part. Yeah, really. And even then, he was suspicious. You know, well, you were a little suspicious. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't read. I don't read scripts uh, very well. Uh, that, I mean, I can read well, but I don't look at them. I'm afraid I, I'm, in, I'm afflicted with that. But I don't think you have it because you you does to do so many wonderful things. And she, I, she, I don't know. Do you choose your own scripts? I do. Yeah, I well, do. So I, I, I trust my wife. Because she, she reads scripts much better than I. I. I have a very kind of cloistered and narrow view of it. I look and see how many lines I've gotten, whether I have a, a curtain speech or something of that nature. So and you just want your sides. Yeah, right. Just give your sides. Indeed, right. That's what I look at. So I, was, I wasn't really convinced of it until my wife had said, oh, this is very good. You didn't think there were enough lines for you? No, no, no. I, I realized that. <laughs> so what... what um, Talk about what's so actable about the film. I mean, there's so many scenes that stick out. I guess I'll start with the one in the diner when you're realizing that they're putting, putting you in a nursing home. That's such a strong scene in the film. So yeah. could I maybe hear from 
Well, Both of you it, I, hate, I hate to sound like I'm polishing the apple here, but <laughs> it really boils down to two things. The text, it's very well written, and it's motivated. It's, it's, it makes a, a point, and it's very effective in its economy, and it was well directed. Let's face you it. Also, uh, with, with this script, you learn something every single scene. With every single scene, there's another layer that's added. You learn something either about one of the characters, about their past, about their future, about the history. So the story keeps unfolding as it goes on so that, there's, um, so that it moves forward. And a lot of times, you just don't get that. Um, you know, and also, you know, Tamara understands story and how to tell a story and then also how to then take it and then execute it into another medium as a whole other step that a lot of times doesn't even if you have a great script it's not able to yes. to transfer onto film become cinematic Indeed. just like yeah. a play with a script sometimes it isn't theatrical it might be good on the page but it just doesn't translate so mm-hmm. you know it's it's a rare sort of gem this one can you talk a little bit Tamara about how you build some of these scenes because what the, in a way, the plot is fairly simple, but you've got every scene has these moments of anguish, humiliation, embarrassment. Uh, there's so much, so many layers going on, and it really comes down to capturing the, the tension and strangeness of each of these scenes. So, um, well, I'm I'm not a very linear person in terms <laughs> of writing. You know, I think some people really start writing something from the beginning and have a real sense of. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I'm sort of like more like almost collage-like in the accumulation of scenes, and I have I started just making them, or at least in the case of this script, that's what I did. And I had many notebooks, and I started accumulating all these ideas for scenes. Um, and 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 consequently, the first draft of the script was 215 pages. Mm-hmm. That it was this kind of wild weed of a thing, and. Uh, the character development and the sort of the dynamics of scenes kind of is almost easier for me than an overall sense of structure. And I, because it's character-driven material and it's not a plot-driven movie, um, I don't know, I find that to be almost... That's where I really feel like the difference between a sort of male mind and a female mind in a certain sort of sense. I always think, oh, that's why boys always... They like, you know cars and building sets and erector sets and they have just a better sense of structure I always feel like I'm missing some you know that it's just harder for me that I have to reach a little harder to kind of build a sense of architecture in terms of a screenplay and could you talk about building the character I just want to pick up on what you said before about you your mind kind of ran with the script about how you were going to play the scenes and how you were going to build this character. You know, what do you use to, to build Wendy, or what were you going for? Uh, well, it really started with the script, and everything I needed was, was there. Mm-hmm. But it took, and this is what I love, I mean, I love doing this sort of stuff, is when you have a script like this that has so many avenues down, you can f- track one thought all the way through, and it will answer so many questions for you. So you go, I went through the script with a fine-tooth comb, and would flesh out every single reference, would ask myself why to every opportunity that there was a why question connected to anything, and then would just, and it would lead me to another thought, which would lead me to another thought, which would lead me to a discovery about character, family, place, person, thing. And then you, so you, you gather all this mountain of stuff, and as, as it all the connections all begin to yeah. you know, form, and then you throw it all away, and you go on set, and you hope that all of that work that you've done will bleed through and inform 
uh, all the you know the instinctive responses that you have by listening, by watching, by feeling, by smelling, by you know all mm. that sort of stuff. It's fun to figure out how a person will behave differently with different people in their lives. Mm. You know, you act, you behave differently with a brother as you do with a boss, as you do with a lover, as you do with a father, as you do with, you know. So there's, and there was so much in the language, just the rhythm of, I don't even know if you were aware that you did this, the rhythm of the language would tell you a lot. All of those relationships that you had <laughs> did in fact work. The one with the Nigerian, I, oh, I'm sorry, I can't remember his Benga. name. Benga. Benga. It worked beautifully. And all of the stuff, of course, with Phil and, and with, the, with Peter Friedman, they, you know, they worked like there was, a There was so much there within the script yeah. that would then move it forward. Indeed. So it was, it was just very, it was just ripe. It was just really full. In, in terms of why questions, you know, one question is, like, why is she, why is your character in this affair? Could you talk about what that, like, how you sort of explain that to yourself? Like, did you have this whole idea about your father, the relationship you had, your character had with her father? Well, certainly the relationship that the three of them have with each other is sort of core and elemental to the entire thing. And what's interesting is to see, or at least what was interesting to me, was to see how my behavior would reflect my past with him and Phil's behavior our, our, our approaches to to this man were very different. I mean, clearly there are references to his being abused, and I assumed me being just neglected, because Wendy is still trying so desperately to have a relationship with a man who just does not love her. He just does. He doesn't love them. And what do you do with a parent who doesn't love you? And Wendy is still desperately trying to connect in some way, to please in some way, to mm-hmm. get something. You know, yeah. the pillow and the things and the, yeah. the, the, the drama about he's in trouble and we've got to go get him, you know, the, and the drama that she creates so that she's then connected to something or she has the opportunity to connect to something. It seems to be the only thing she can enjoy is when there's some kind of drama. She some seems, sort of, she seems so happy she, to find that her, you know, yeah. her brother has, um, is taking antidepressants. Absolutely. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and also the whole... What was so interesting to me was she would create these situations, she would create this chaos, and she would either lie or cheat or steal to watch someone do the right thing. She would do it because she wanted to see some act of kindness. So she would create an opportunity for someone to behave well, you know, which I found very, very touching in a way. And it's so odd that you go with her even though she's a lying, cheating, stealing, fraudulent, <laughs> adulterous, you know, <laughs> sort of, you know, petulant. I loved her petulance. Yeah. I loved the sort of defiance that she would defend herself when she was absolutely lying through her teeth. I mean, like a five-year-old, you know. Yeah. You know, I just, I, you know, that <laughs> or was Or ripping just, a pillow from a... Yeah. You know. yeah. <laughs> that great moment when you say, um, out in the parking lot, we're horrible people after... Could you talk about that scene? Because that sums up... I mean, well, that, it just raises this question, like, uh, about how we treat our parents um, and, and also about well, the Well, for, for anyone who has been through that experience, I had a grandmother who, who I moved into a nursing home. And, you know, those, you know, as much as I try and... That's probably the one moment in the whole script where I did completely, you know, sort of exploit my own past, which I try not to do, but it was almost impossible in that one not to. Because um, you do, you do feel that way. I mean, you walk away and you, you leave them there and it's, it's just, it just is a killer um and it's also you know a lot of people have been saying you know why sort of challenging the content of this movie and why why would i want to see it and why would i want to go and why was it made and i i it drives me crazy that people can't understand that this is what connects everybody 
it's these experiences that connect all of us as human beings. I mean, it's the inevitable that, that we all have to tackle no matter where you are on the scale of economics or status or development or, you know, anything. Well, there's such a sweetness in the relationship, between the bro- particularly between the brother and sister. And mm-hmm. what happens is that they get to a point where they, they have the realization that they belong to each other. I mean, they don't have that at the beginning of the movie. And there is a sense of all of a sudden of like, oh, I belong to you. you and that's not so bad. That's okay. You belong but, to me. Oh, okay. It was lovely to see, though, the difference in their characters and how they, but they, they were two peas in the same pod eventually. And that was very exciting to watch. His <laughs> kind of yeah. gruffness and you know, dismissive measure, and she's pleading all very excitable. And so, What's the matter with you? And he's relaxed. And, you know. I found that very, very uh, interesting to watch. Tamara, can you talk about, I mean, your, your naming of the characters seems to indicate some thoughts. I mean, the, the family name, Wendy and John, can you talk about just coming to those names? Yeah, I mean, it's, a f- it's always such a, I didn't self-consciously name them John and Wendy after Peter Pan, but when I found, I, when I realized what I had done, I liked it. So I had Wendy first and then sort of came, you know, I think for a long time it was like brother, sister, brother, sister when it was in its kind of pinter stage, you know, when <laughs> pre, like whatever that is. And, um, uh, but, uh, and then, you know, obviously uh, uh, yeah, I was sort of messing around and sometimes you feel like you're wasting time. You're like, you're supposed to be writing. You're not supposed to be sitting there coming up with names. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, you feel like you're doing something sort of frivolous. But I do, but you really do have to sort of, connect to that anyway and I remember coming on to Wendy finding the name Wendy or just thinking that that felt right and then the John and then going oh look what I've done I've made them darlings and then I was like oh but that's okay that sort of works and but so it was an accident but that I then liked mm-hmm. the well, savages on what were you gonna say I, I, I hope you're going to address the the savages that's what I'm... Because you're like, what the hell were you well, thinking? Why would we name savages? Was it... Uh, what do you think, Phil? I don't know. I'm asking you. Jeez. Is, uh, are we savage to each other? Well, she there's a little wasn't. bit of it. I mean, I think that it... I mean, don't, I mean, don't you think? Well, I, I certainly would be uh, considered savage. Mm-hmm. But certainly not... Uh, <laughs> He's so protective. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. I certainly mean, uh, not. She, no, well, no. She, well, I mean, I think She that, wasn't savage uh, to me, by, and her, her behavior in the film isn't savage at all. Well, I think that the, the name sort of um, has a sort... It has resonance in lots of different ways, but certainly there was a kind of... She's also savage. She has no tools. Did I blow your cover? I'm no, sorry. not at all. I like it. Um, uh, this is like what it was like. Yeah. <laughs> this is live. <laughs> no, um, no, it was, uh, you know, uh, I mean, a whole series of things. This is the savagery of old age, the, um, right. the, the, the fact that, um, that the members of this family were... Um, savagery treated. Well, the, yeah, or, or and that they had so, such, so little in terms of resources growing up that they're desperate and sort of greedy and, and steal too. and mm-hmm. primal and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, grabbing things in this, you know, in Wendy's yeah. case with these sort of spasms of need and desperation that are, you know, not particularly, you know, civilized. And, yeah. and, and, and the fact that we don't really have any, uh, you know, that sort of the, you know, the treatment of the elderly or, I mean, there's, there's a billion riffs one could do if they were writing a thesis. I'll just ask one thing and then open up to the audience but since you brought up the treatment of the elderly you filmed in real uh, nursing homes 
Um, could you talk about that experience? I mean, going out to Arizona, and I guess there were a number of places. Retirement community, yeah. Sun yeah. City and stuff. Yeah, we did. I mean, we weren't shooting. Um, someone, an, a journalist was asking something about that, and we weren't, you know, the extras or actors were not, like, you know, grabbing people in nursing homes and tossing them in front of the camera. All the, you know, all the people in that inhabit the the people the nursing home are actors playing residents of a nursing home just for the record uh the valley view for instance was a it was an abandoned space that we you know production designed and kind of re you know set dressed and sort of turned into the valley view although one floor of it the very bottom floor was a working nursing home uh, you know, when you see Wendy sort of carrying her urban outfitter shopping bags, she's sort of in a real nursing home. And then that fancy nursing home where they go to Green Hill Manor, that was a real, very high-end nursing home. that one's really nice. <laughs> and we should all remember it because it's not far from the city. <laughs> it's really nice. Quite beautiful. <laughs> was it White Plains? I, it's no, so no. funny. Was it Riverdale? Yeah, it's, it's Riverdale. Because it, right. it, right it was not in Buffalo. It was in... So if you don't get into the actor's home, which is where I'm going, I'm going to the other one. <laughs> well, I'm going then, too. I'll, I'll see you there. I'm going to go if you're there. I'm there. <laughs> there have been so many times when I've seen actors, and they are crying and screaming and emoting, and tears are coming, and they're sweating, and they're red in the face, and I feel absolutely nothing. I feel nothing. And I, and I, I think about this a lot, and I... I believe the reason why I feel nothing is that what they're doing is not knitted organically to the material. That, that they are sort of using their own, they're using a sense memory thing, which then they just are ex- exploring and exploding and using, but it doesn't connect to the material, so then it doesn't affect the audience. What I tend to, to think is that that sense memory stuff is the first step, is just step one. And then you have to take it forward and knit it right into the material. Fortunately, I'm at, the, I'm at the place now where I'm able to do these big emotional scenes and I can go home and I'm fine. And fortunately, that's just with experience. You learn how to do that. Otherwise, you will, you will I couldn't do it, you know. Um, but with, with that, that scene, it was just very easy to hook into because it was still so, for me, so raw. I mean, I'm so haunted by that still. If the writing is good, if your co-actor is good, if you've done, if you've asked yourself all the right questions, if you put yourself in that situation, there's no other way it will go. It is, it will, you will just go there. Okay. If you've done all that preparatory work, it, something will happen. You'll hear something, you'll see something, and the emotion then will follow because emotion is a result of something. You can't go in saying, I'm going to play this, I'm going to play this emotion. You can't play an emotion. So it is, as, as long as you, if you don't skip the step leading up to the emotion, the emotion will then, will then come there, will be there. Can you add anything to that, Tamara? Because you see, I think you allow when you're directing just these moments where we watch facial re- reactions register, like the way that uh, just your, when your character opens the door um, and we see like the look on your face when when he's when there. Larry's there when Larry's there. So just well, I mean, some of that is um, you know the selections that you make in the editing room, and your uh, I mean I. What it was very clear to me in the writing of the script, and and also, what the most important thing in terms of the movie was, you know, these performances and uh, the, these, you know, 
uh, I mean, I remember sort of sitting in the kitchen at one point with my cinematographer when we were preparing the movie, and we had 30 days to shoot the movie, and, you know, we had big plans, big dreams of, oh, and we're going to do this, and then we're going to bring the camera, and we're going to do this and this and this. And then I remember just turning to Mott, who's our cinematographer at, one po- cinematographer at one point, and I said, you know, when the shit hits the fan and we don't get to do this stuff, these big dreams in the kitchen, you know, this whole, like, elaborate shot list, you know, the most important thing is these guys. And nailing it and you know you know uh capturing it and you know underlining their expression but really that was the primary thing when everything fails the only thing that really matters are the performances um obviously you want it all when you're making a movie you want everything you want the stunning cinematography you want this you want everything perfect and you want to get this and it's you know sometimes you can't get it all so um that being said uh, I knew that the, the heart of the movie had to do with the behavior of these people because that's really what it was. It was a study in yeah. behavior and uh, dynamics. And um, so, and, I, and on top of it, I had these pretty brilliant actors doing it. Um, so it, there was just all this delicious stuff going on. And so w- when you're on the set and you're sort of registering you know, what's happening. Then you have this whole other experience where you go into the edit room and what often happens is there's a kind of compression of time in scenes, you know, when you see uh, many movies. And and what ends up happening is you're sort of, it's almost like squeezing the juice out. You're mm. like killing it, mm. you know? That, that so much is happening between the lines in terms of the behavior with, with you know, the characters that, uh, you know, the, and the players. So, um a lot of it has to do with respecting the organic um, work that was done on, you know, that, that, they, that they were doing live and not squeezing it out and spending the time there, yeah. um, you know, editorially. So I'm that's one thing. Can you talk about sense, sense memory? Like the jazz singer scene, because your character there, you know, seems like memories are coming back. So how do you play a scene like that? I didn't have any particular point, <laughs> point of view uh, of doing that. I was just kind of responding. It was due to uh, Tamara's uh, suggestions, you know, mm-hmm. how I reacted to it. Uh, no, I, 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 I do I would like to make one point, though. I was captivated with the story about an emotion and how you show it as an actor. I learned very early on uh, in college, I won't mention that part, it doesn't matter, but I was th- playing it and I, I was crying so much and thought, my God, I'm moving this audience. <laughs> 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 Couldn't quite understand uh, people turning pages and coughing and scraping stuff. And uh, when it was, the scene was over, I felt so badly. Well, what is the matter with this dumb audience? What I'm trying to get to is the way to play scenes like that is it's the act of your trying not to cry that makes people, uh, moves people very much. And a perfect example of that was Robert Kennedy's assassination. There was a, in the St. Patrick's Cathedral, was on television, because that's how I saw it. Uh, Teddy Kennedy was giving a speech, I guess a eulogizing about his brother. And he was on the verge of tears almost all the way through, but he was fighting. If anybody saw it, you'll understand what I'm saying. He was fighting desperately not to break up and it's only every now and again would his voice crack. And that effort to st- not to cry was absolutely devastating. And I, I was a basket, or a, a case over that. 
And I also, and one further thing, I, excuse me for going on like this, but it's a, a friend of mine died. Uh, it turns out it's Frances Sternhagen, the actress, her husband, Tom Curlin, whom you probably knew. When he died, I, I had gone to school with him, so I knew him very well. And uh, I don't think it's betraying a confidence to suggest that he had a very sad life because he was an alcoholic his whole life, and he fought desperately against it, but he was just overcome by it. Anyway, he passed away, and we went to his funeral. And he had, uh, Franny and Tom had, I think, seven or eight children, I'm not sure, a large family. And at the church where it was in New Rochelle, where they lived, I think it was there, whatever, the, yeah, the place was bombs. And every one of those children got up to the, 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 the dais and, and, and spoke about their dad with not a tear, not a tear in it in their, any of their voices, every one of them, all seven or eight. And Franny came on at the end and did the same thing, spoke lovingly and, and, and warmly, of course, about, about their dad and about her husband and all the, uh, the wonderful things about him. And the audience was absolutely awash in tears. I can't tell you. It was one of the most thrilling and, and moving experiences I've ever endured in my, in my whole life. That effort to, to go beyond indulgence in, in emotion was oh so moving so terribly moving but that's so interesting that you know that you're studying human but your your ongoing study of human behavior in terms of how it is applied to your work as an actor Indeed, yes. at all oh, times we're obsessed all the time yeah i mean we're constantly you know we are obsessed all the time and the thing that was interesting about that scene when when we leave him is that for wendy it's been an extremely long day I mean, I remember we, we had really plotted out that day because she starts, she starts in Arizona. She's got to pack him. She's got to get him on the plane, the whole thing on the plane. Then, then they move him in, and then they leave him, and then they go back to the house. And so it was also fitting in, like, what would be an appropriate emotional journey within that big, long day. And where, yeah, and how vulnerable you'd how be vulnerable at that you point. would be, or just was it exhaustion? Was it, like, what, what was feeding the emotion? What was it that made the dam break? Yeah, okay, plus, yeah, plus she, plus Wendy had to carry the load. I mean, not only, you know, pack up the house and then, you know, all of his stuff and then drive, you know, fly him on the plane and all of that kind of keeping face. And then suddenly in the dark, in the parking lot, gets to... And, and, and at least as a viewer, I'm talking as a viewer now, having seen the scene, the very fact that, that Phil Hoffman was terribly unconcerned. I mean, it was concerned, but he was just cruising through it. She had, the, she had all of the burden of doing all of that stuff. <laughs> Until that plate of eggs makes him... <laughs> yes. Makes him yeah. yes. Could you talk about that very lyrical um, opening scene with the dancing? Those are um, all of the people that you meet at the top of the film. I remember thinking it was like a brochure, a living brochure of, you know, the the offerings of Sun City. And in fact, they are all um, residents of Sun City and they, there's a variety of clubs, the water aerobics club, and they um, allowed us to, you know, shoot them. Um, and, and the women in blue are, they're called the Sun City West Dancers. They're citizens of Sun City um, and they have this troupe and they perform. And um, I, when I was, uh, Working on the script, I bumped into Sun City. I had never been there in my life. I came upon it in the writing process and uh, uh, and sort of fell in love with this idea 
that that's where Lenny is at the beginning of the movie. He's in this incredibly heightened place, the Sun City. Um, so I had done a lot of reading about Sun City, discovered you know, that it was one of America's premier, very first retirement communities in the United States. It's actually the second. The first one's called Youngville. The oh, second God. one is called in Arizona, um, and the second one is uh, is Sun City, um, and it was developed by this guy named Del Webb in the late 1960s. He's like on the cover of Time magazine. He owned Yankees. Did oh he might have he yes he did he Yankees, was a co yeah. he was like the who's the guy that owns McDonald's a Croc Ray Croc he's yeah. the Ray Croc of retirement communities because now there's Sun Cities all over the country there's like Sun Cities in Denver there's Sun Cities in Ar he's he's no longer alive but he was on the cover of Time magazine and I think it was like um, a great way of a, a new way of life for the old or some kind of a great slogan like mm. that. Um, but anyway, so those are the Sun City West dancers, and that is their costumes. That's all the stuff that they provided. I went to a rehearsal. They're, they're tappers. You, we pulled the sound out, to, and it slowed down. So, But they're tap dancers. They're actually doing 42nd Street. Um, that's their costumes. I went and watched one of the rehearsals. I, you know, The only thing that I did was you know, set them up behind the hedge. <laughs> they usually have a you know a more dignified space probably, but um, okay. we like the hedge. Uh, just time for a few more, I think, over here. Uh, which do you prefer, theater or film? Well, I, uh, I hope I don't have ruffled any feathers here, but my, my <laughs> first love is the stage, and probably always will be. I love movies. I love, I'm a wonderful movie buff. I've watched movies endlessly at home, and uh, I love working in them, and I admire people who work in it and all of that. But as an actor, from purely an actor's point of view, uh, at least from my point of view as an actor, there's no comparison uh, in, 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 what am I trying to say, uh, in self-satisfaction, in depreciation. With the actor, uh, or the actress, of course, or when I say actor, I mean the, the, the community. When the actor goes through four weeks of rehearsal, that's a big difference, too. You hardly ever get a very long rehearsal in a movie, if at all. Some now, I think, do a little rehearsal. I did one Sidney Lumet film, which is the worst film I think he's ever made, in which he did, <laughs> I was not, not very lucky in my choice, in which we did, re, we did rehearsal for a, week, for a week, but it didn't help the movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in essence, what I'm trying to say is, after the rehearsal period and after the play, when that curtain goes up in the theater, it's you and the audience. You are the king or queen in the theater. In the movies, I always felt like a, a, a kind of cog in a large wheel. Now, I admittedly have not played very prominent roles in most of the movies I've made. And I've made a lot of them in very small roles. I've played a few leading roles in some low-budget films. But uh, essentially, I'm, I'm kind of an after, an, an after ran in movies. I didn't start making movies until I was in my 50s. I wouldn't go to Hollywood in the early days. And there's a, a there's a, a huge difference in in your self satisfaction. I don't really feel as if I'm doing terribly much in movies because I'm only a cog in this gigantic wheel which involves music and uh, editing and lighting and my God knows what else. So many. So it's no no comparison at all. Although I love film. There's also something about the theater that, that film does not have, and it's sort of what makes film challenging and exciting. And when you have a big part like this one or, or any other that you sort of have to somehow negotiate through. With theater, there's just time for connections to be made. In three months, you know, my favorite time to go see a play is three months in because time 
has knitted the people together, has knitted the actor's brain to the thoughts, has knitted their relaxation on stage. And that's something you cannot rush. You, you can't. That, that's something that only comes with time. It's something that it, it has to stew. And you can't rush it. You can't. So, so when you have film, you, you have to somehow get to that same place of intimacy and relaxation, but it's sort of like instant pudding. So there's the challenge of like, how do I make this like a slow cook? How do I make it seem like a slow cooked meal when it's really instant pudding? <laughs> well, you must have you know? found a way to do it because even in little scenes like the office scene at the beginning, the way you're kind of hunched over and like suspicious of being caught, you know, typing your application, like the, we, we just can sit, tell so much about what's going on in your mind. Yay. <laughs> but it's sort of, I mean, I mean, the more that you guys, t- so I mean, you, it seems like the, you, the dream, a director, a film director's yeah. dream, which is, it's a very hard thing to pull off because, but would be to really work with a rep, you know, uh, of actors, a group of actors that you return to. And that's why Mike Lee's movie, I mean, he has a whole very unique process, but what, you understand that desire. I mean, I feel like I just got to know them when we finished the movie. I was like, shit. You if I only <laughs> knew them at the top, we would have had a really great time. You know what you I mean? You always feel like you're ready to make the movie the day you wrap it. Yeah, then you're like, ah. Oh. I mean, yeah, because now, now you, you know all the things you missed and like all the things you missed. It's mad, you know, a crash course in intimacy, and there's so <laughs> much pressure, and it's such a heightened environment. And then you're like, ah, oh, I wish we could do it again, because now we all know each other. That's and why actors like to work with each other again, and why yes. is exactly why directors like to work with the same actors. Like, I've had three troubled marriages with Gabriel Byrne. And they get better. They get more troubled as our relationships go on. But we couldn't be that complicated and troubled at our first marriage. It took the third. You know, I've been married to Liam Neeson twice. I've been married to Paul Giamatti twice. And, you know, or... That's an old deal. You know, it's an old Poor me. But it is, there is something about... It's that time thing. I'll be, you know? I'll be a little sacrilegious now. That's one of when, just picking up on what you said, that was one of the beauties of the studio system in the old days. Yeah. I mean, but you had uh, stock companies, essentially, particularly my favorite, which was Warner Brothers. Uh, you know, the gritty kind of uh, city stuff that we all knew so well in the East here. And, and you remember, they acted with each other time and time again, that same bunch of actors. Occasionally, there would be a, 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 a star from another studio would be, make a guest shot. But in the Warner Brothers, how many movies did you see? Claude Rains and Sidney Greenstreet and Peter Laurie and Humphrey Bogart and John Garfield. and that. They were all acting with each other. And they did the things that uh, you were talking about, Laura, that kind of... Uh, how did you phrase that? They knew how to play with each other. Yeah, it was, yeah it's great. Phil and I just, you know, got along like a house on fire. I adore him, and I loved working with him. It's one of the best working relationships I've ever had, and I missed him terribly when he wasn't on set. Um, he, we, he has a fin- his choices are perfection. His priority of story first is solidly in place. He... Um, you know, he's giving and funny and fun and creative. And we got to a place where we felt so safe with each other um, that there was enormous freedom. And when there's freedom, then you can be really precise. Um, so it was just great fun. I mean, it was like, you know, playing tennis with a great, great, great tennis partner. Ditto. <laughs> okay, well, well, next time we'll invite him. 
<laughs> Thank you, and congratulations. You talked about how hard it was, but you guys really pulled, pulled it off. You did a great job. Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.